Hey, it's Alex. And Gabriel, what are we doing this week, Alex? This week we are doing an update. And I'm very excited about it, but I don't know what the update is yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell Alex what we were talking about. Because, uh, yeah, we, you went away for a bit and I reached out to a bunch of people, got in touch with them, uh, and sort of did some updates on our old episodes. And so what have we had so far? We had... Daniela updating us on the glossy black cockatoos on Kangaroo Island and the East Coast. We had uh, Ross updating us on the Regent Honey Eaters. And now we've got our last one. And I can't, again, I can't tell you what this one's going to be about because we're going to get Alex trying to guess in the first few seconds of this interview. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm like 99% certain this is Gabe's way of paying me back for going on a holiday to yeah, Tasmania. And not inviting <laughs> me, that's it. <laughs> So I can't really hype this up much more. Uh, we just have to get into this interview now. I promise yeah. you it's a good one. It is a very cool update. There's a lot of cool stories. And there's, there's some cool updates on stuff that we talked about in voiceovers. Things that we up, like sort of added in to the episode have since changed. Oh. So, <laughs> I'm very excited. Yeah, there's some cool, there's some cool corrections that, uh, that have to be made now. But uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Let's roll that music and get into it. This is episode 16 of Life on the Brink. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, cool. Looks good. I am too loud though. I'm going to turn myself down. All right. Should be good now. Much better. Cool. Yeah, cool. So yeah, Alex isn't on this one just because um, I'm springing these on him. Nice. Do you have any questions or anything before we just jump in? Because it shouldn't no, take too long. No, just <laughs> glad we got here eventually. Yeah. Sorry about the back and forth. Oh, no, that's but, all right. Yeah, yeah. Is that Dennis? <laughs> that one pretty quick. I was like secretly hoping it was going to be Dennis. I was just like, there's no way. There's no way. Uh, yep. Dennis uh, from episode three. But I think the first interview we did. Yep. Talking about the Tokoweka, the, the Haas Southern Brown Kiwi. Mm-hmm. Alex, do you want to give a quick recap of, of the, the original episode? Sure thing. So back in our third episode, and our first interview, we spoke to Dennis and it was right at the start of the 2021 breeding season. And so what Dennis does is he's a ranger in a little Kiwi sanctuary in Haast, which is a small little part of New Zealand on the South Island. And that sanctuary actually protects one of the small sort of populations, kind of subspecies. They're still a little bit undecided on that. And that's the Haast, uh, the Southern Brown Kiwi, the Haast population or Haast um, subspecies. And so, yeah. Which is the, there's 500 of those left or thereabouts at the moment. Yeah. And so they're very, very much, they are under the uh, New Zealand sort of a threat classification system. They're critical. So that's like the highest one or sort of the worst one. And yeah, so he basically, what he and his team do is they monitor the population and basically try and rise its numbers. That involves a lot of radio tracking them across mountainous ranges and helicopter flights. So if you want to hear a bit more about that, you should definitely go back and listen to episode three. What, what did you, what are they classified as? Uh, critical. So they, um, the, I'm pretty, uh, just let me double check that. Uh, uh, don't double check that. Okay. <laughs> we'll just, uh, just keep that in mind as we keep going. Oh, <laughs> by the way, this was Friday. This was Friday. <laughs> <laughs> 
so if you listen to this on the day it comes out, this was recorded three days ago. So we are getting the hottest, latest news uh, from Kiwiland. But uh, yeah, I, we just kept going back and forth since December trying to figure out a type that, uh, that, well, that he wasn't in the field chasing Kiwis so he could talk about Kiwis. <laughs> I, uh, the, my first thought when I heard his voice was, oh, I miss his voice. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't believe he didn't tell me. <laughs> I very carefully worded every bit of, of every message we had to be like, you can't, you cannot tell Alex. Cause I knew you two were talking. <laughs> I, I swear we, well, I talked to him on a very regular basis. <laughs> when, you, when, when you like brought up the, like interview, interviewed a few people, I was like, I hope Dennis has been done. I was like, there's no way. I was like, I was literally thinking, I was like, there's no way Dennis has been done. Cause I know, I just know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> All right. Let's keep rolling this. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, I mean, can we start with what's been going on like the last week and why there's been so much back and forth? Yeah. I suppose we're getting into like a pretty busy time of year. We're getting into transmitter changes and, the end of our breeding season so we've got checking on the chicks that have survived and trying to fit that in with all sorts of other stuff and yeah it's kind of shorthanded as well we're down to three ranges and pretty much two, only two of us going into the field so we've got ranges from the the other kiwi team based up the road in franz joseph they they come down to help but um yeah so before then then i mean like you've had a whole breeding season since we did the interview for the the episode that came out. Yeah. How, how did that go? Yeah. Um, what happened? We we ended up with a 20-something nests, I think, 20 to 30 nests. Long story short, out of that, we've got four chicks surviving. Whoa. So, um, for various reasons. Uh, the majority of that is that um, most of those nests failed for some reason. They didn't get to hatch. So I think... We had four chicks that hatched and one got uh, predated or eaten by a stoat two weeks ago. But we've got four surviving, which is pretty good, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> considering it's better than nothing. Yeah, I guess so. So it was like 20 nests from how many breeding pairs or how many birds overall? Uh, so we're, we're, monitoring, we're monitoring about 45 in the sanctuary at the moment. Right. And not, not all of them had... Uh, attempted breeding or, or attempted nests. Some birds went twice. Yeah, and uh, some of those birds aren't in the sanctuary. So, yeah, I don't know if you remember from last time, we've got like a, a main management area, um, the Haas Tokoweku Sanctuary, mm -hmm. where we've got sort of direct monitoring and like, we let the chicks hatch naturally, put a transmitter on and see how they fare with minimal interference. And then we've got a satellite population out at a place called Junction Hill, which has no predator control, and out there we were we were hoping to do some egg lifts, where um, yeah we would lift the eggs, hatch them in captivity, and then release them back into the wild once they were above a certain weight, above a stoat-proof weight. Right. None of those eggs at Junction Hill ended up being fertile. Oh, correction. Some were infertile. Some were just dead eggs, but we didn't get any that were viable. <laughs> rough is that like yeah. is that a rough year compared to what you've had in the past um it's different but it's pretty seems pretty standard okay so we've got four chicks surviving from last year but we had 11 nests hatch so we had close to double the number of nests hatching 
but we had five times the numbers of predation. The year before that, we had 10 or 11 nests hatch, no predations, but we only had two chicks survive. So it seems like it's pretty standard, but every year brings different challenges, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Hey, we're back again. Uh, just quickly clarifying first, Alex, a stoat is... One of the most adorable creatures, but also super invasive in New Zealand, and they do a ton of damage to all the native wildlife there. They basically look like something in between a weasel and a ferret. And like uh, <laughs> on top of this trapping stuff, they do other control as well, right? Yeah, so like the trapping's more of just like keeping the numbers low. There's the, It's not really sort of to like do big damage to stoat populations. The, uh, the One of the biggest things they do when they're really trying to like... I guess reduce numbers very quickly is aerial baits where they'll basically just go drop a bunch of uh, poison baits from aircraft into a specific place like the sanctuary and that'll dramatically lower the stoke populations. Alrighty, let's get back into it. Dennis uh, is just about to start talking about how you go from where they are now with not quite stoke proof four chicks uh, and getting them through to, to the stage where they can hopefully go it alone. So are the four that are left, are they stoke proof now and how big they are no they're um two of them are pretty good they're about 800 getting close to 900 grams our stoke proof target is about 1200 grams compared to last year that's they're, they're putting on weight pretty quickly um so we're, we're pretty hopeful but there, there's heaps of stoats around so that that's making us nervous um so our trapping network checks say um we've got 12 12 or 1300 traps out of that, leading up into summer, uh, the average stoat trap number was 15, 15, around 15 stoats per month. For the January check, we're up to 50 to 60 stoats. Jeez. Um, and that's just, that's just part of their breeding cycle, the mm-hmm. sort of a January-February explosion. It's a good thing we're catching them, but um, it means there's more predators around as well so yeah for sure that's crazy um, but but the fact that we haven't lost all our chicks means that the trapping network seems to be working is that is that comparable to what you've had in years past getting 50 60 in these months yeah that's that's pretty standard january february mid midsummer the stoats breed up in early summer or in, end of spring and then they start to disperse this time of year yeah so it's the trapping's just sort of holding them down then it's not like it's just yeah. staying level yeah, pretty much. With with our standard trapping techniques, you're never going to get elimination. It's always yeah. Our management is pretty much suppression. Yeah. Until we come up with something better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So then, I mean, what's what's it like looking forward now? How much more work do you have to do to with these four chicks that are left? Um, we pretty much uh, keep doing monthly monthly health checks, uh, monitor their health. We basically we just want them to put on weight and. Once they hit a, once they've officially survived, uh-huh. they just become they become a statistic in a study, basically. <laughs> so going going, we'll keep monitoring them if we can, um, just to try and answer some other questions about how far they disperse once they start maturing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, like, so the amount of predation you had this year, then was some of that inside the sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. So that one chick was sort of bang, bang in the middle of our management area. Like you, you might get ninety percent of the ninety percent of the stoats, but they've got such large ranges, they'll just move through and pick off whatever they can. So, so it's just it's yeah. just less in the in the sanctuary, and it's yeah as many as they can breed up to in outside in those other satellite populations. 
yeah, with with the other populations, our, our approach is to um, try and capture their genetics. So we use a program called uh, Operation Nest Egg, uh, which is where we we lift the eggs and then try and get those chicks through. Yeah, one of the advantages of doing egg lifts is that um, it increases the survival rate of the eggs or the hatch rate. We don't really know how much it helps, well, like in terms of Tokaweka with southern brown kiwi, but um, with North Island browns, at least a wild hatch success is sort of fifty to sixty percent. And once if you lift the eggs, it goes up to ninety percent. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we 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 managed to get. Um, I think we managed to lift three eggs that were viable and. I think we've we've out of those we've got one chick survive <laughs> through through that process. <laughs> so, so so that was three three you lifted in the last like six months or so. Yeah. So they go they go up to the west. Oh well, they go up to various wildlife centers. So either the West Coast Wildlife Center or Willow Bank, which is another one we use. Uh-huh. Um, they get hatched in incubators. Then they move into a creche where they a predator free creche uh, where they sort of they go through kiwi school basically they sort of just <laughs> le- le- left left on on their own but but sort of within a c- contained area and then they move on to some predator free islands and um, then they come back into the sanctuary or or wherever as as the sanctuary fills up we sort of want to spread the genetics a bit we don't want to sort of bunch them all in one area so as we sort of fill up areas we sort of expand outwards and we've got we've got two chicks. Well, they're not ch- two chicks, but we've got two subadults coming from last year's program. So they we're going to collect them off their island next uh, in two weeks' time to bring them back. Oh, cool! So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, for sure. Is that the how do you how do you find fertile eggs outside of the the sanctuary area? Is that just do you have trackers on these birds that you think are nesting? Yeah. So these are these are birds that we have. Uh, transmitters on as well so we monitor them like like sanctuary birds the difference is that we don't leave the chicks in the wild because they've got a 95 percent chance of being eaten <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you figure out which ones are viable um you uh you candle them so you use a torch so you go out and have a look at the eggs and you um it's a pretty common process like in rearing chickens and things so like Okay. You basically get to get a torch and shine shine inside the egg, and we're usually lifting them when they're about sort of forty five to sixty days old. Kiwi, kiwi incubation is sort of uh, around seventy eight days. Um, anyway, but by, by the stage we go in, the embryo is fairly well developed, and if it's if it's alive and viable, you'll have you'll see veins and and embryo development. And from about fifty days, fifty five days, if you whistle at them and make noises, they'll they'll move and respond oh cool um yeah so the other last week i went out to check on a nest which had gone over its incubation period so it was at 90 something days and we thought the egg must have died but i went out the male was still sitting on his eggs but it's it's pretty common that they'll keep trying to incubate even if the egg is dead and so um i sort of pushed him out of the way and took the egg out and candled it I thought it was a dead egg. It was completely black and solid. And yeah, the, the older they are, the darker the eggs get, um, and they show less light. But also, dead eggs do that as well. Right. Um, so, <laughs> um, but then I got a glimpse. I got a little glimpse of of like a vein in the corner, and I'm like, I better check check this out. And got did the tapping, whistling thing, and it wobbled. And like, oh crap, it's actually still going. But yeah, I managed to get the egg back under the bird, and it didn't seem to 
you didn't seem too phased by it. Often, often they will abandon if you if you interfere with or even get close to a nest. Uh, but this bird seemed pretty pretty happy, so I went back onto the nest and I waited outside uh, at a distance and made sure he didn't run away. Yeah, still incubating. Should hatch next week. Hopefully. Awesome. So is that? And then when you do find them, is it literally helicoptering them out to somewhere else? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we helicopter, we fly them out back to our base in Harst, um, and then they go on a road trip pretty much up to the uh, incubation facilities. That's so cool. Yeah. Hey, just cutting in because hearing this for the first time, I'm just picturing Dennis and he's in that scene from Indiana Jones where there's the idol and he's got the sandbag. (laughs) (laughs) Except it's a kiwi egg with a little kiwi sitting on top of the egg. (laughs) Like, uh... (laughs) Oh, that's incredible. A real honest profession, I think. <laughs> All right, we should get back into it. <laughs> Is there uh, anything else coming up in in uh, in your world? Um, we've got a few months of transmitter changes. We've lost a few birds. Um, birds have lost transmitters um, over the season, so we kind of need more for next year. <laughs> Once we're done with transmitters, we'll be out trying to catch. Uh, new birds or recatch birds that have lost their transmitters. Right. Uh, so that's the whistling that we talked about last mm-hmm. time, and mm-hmm. we've got a we've got a kiwi dog who'll be in action. So a bit bit of ex- exploration to be done, I think. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's us. Uh, just to clarify, kiwi dogs are dogs to track kiwis. <laughs> uh, but I'm about to ask uh, Dennis what I thought was just going to sort of be the end of of us talking and touching base about what's happened in the world of kiwis. And uh, I just asked him, you know, anything else happened? Anything else on the horizon? Which is what got a great response out of Ross with the region honey eaters uh, back in December. And yet again, do you, do you remember what you said about kiwis at the start of this episode? The the listing is oh critical. Yeah. Well, apparently, <laughs> yeah, that's changed now. Oh right, true. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> um, cool. Um, is there anything else you think that's worth bringing up that's happened in the last little while, or? Well, there are a couple, couple of like, well, the the threats, cla- the New Zealand birds threats classifications have been updated. Oh, okay. Um, so that's interesting. Um, yeah. With Haas Tokaweka specifically, they've gone from threatened, nationally critical to um, upgraded or downgraded. I'm not sure which way you would describe it, <laughs> but they've gone from nationally critical to vulnerable, which, on the face of it, is good. From a management point of view, nothing's really changed. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> effectively, what it means is that the population decline has either stopped or been reversed, but they're still, in terms of management, they're still just as conservation reliant as they ever were. Sure. So, so the, um, the numbers have sort of maybe stabilized a bit, yeah. but only because yeah. you guys are out there pulling eggs up in helicopters. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the sort of thing you have to sort of think about. The, if it's in that threatened category, whether it's vulnerable, critical, critically endangered or endangered, they're all still conservation reliant. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, your job isn't done until they're, they're looking after themselves, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, it's kind of like you need a little <laughs> asterisk. Like they're, yeah. they're not critical, yeah. but they're, they're vulnerable as long as there's a bunch of rangers out there constantly yeah. looking after them and trapping yeah. stones. Yeah. 
Uh, hey, we're jumping in once again. Uh, there you go. So you're wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> it's changed. They're now vulnerable. Uh, but we're both about to be proved wrong, Alex. Oh, love this. <laughs> just right at the end, he saved the best to last you, Dennis, because right at the Classic. end, uh, Dennis just brought up this. Has been, there's been some small changes too. Do you remember we spent a long time trying to figure out how to explain all the different species and subspecies and local variants of subspecies of kiwis that exist in the world because most people like we did thought there was one yep and <laughs> we spent a long time trying to figure it out and dennis sort of ran us through it in the last episode it's been a pretty interesting change uh it all started uh dennis dennis said it started because there was a group of researchers who went out to try and prove if these tokaweka the ones that dennis work on are actually a different subspecies so they're still within the species of southern brown kiwis, mm-hmm. but maybe their own subspecies, not a variant of a different subspecies, right? Just pushed them out into a bit of a separate uh, space. They got sidetracked along the way <laughs> for a really cool reason. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> and just to get you armed and ready for what's about to come up, the phrase type specimen uh, is a phrase that means pretty much the first specimen of a species or subspecies or whatever it is that is the one that you use as the, the base. It's the blueprint, right? <laughs> Sometimes they're a bit funky and they're not actually great blueprints, but it's the first one that sort of makes it back to usually as a Western museum and gets formally described. Uh, that becomes the type specimen. So that is the sort of the, the go-to reference you use for a species. If you're trying to figure out if something else is that species or not, Different is different to that species, you use that type specimen as, as your first point of call. They're basically the key. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. And what else has changed? It's another one that has no impact on management, but um, the tax taxonomy has changed a little bit. So, um, oh. Haas Tokaweka are a taxon of southern brown kiwi Tokaweka. Yeah. So that's Apteryx australis, australis Haas, or it used to be. And the other the other ones are the sort of uh, Northfield and Tokaweka, Southfield and Tokaweka. And Stewart Island Tokaweka. The Stewart Island Tokaweka are a described subspecies. So they used to be Laurii, or Apteryx australis Laurii. But some researchers at the Canterbury Museum and Landcare Research re examined the type specimen, which was assumed to come from Dusky Sound in southern Fjordland, looked at the DNA and realized that actually came from Stewart Island. Oh. And the, the theory is that some, this was, it was sort of, mid 19th century or early 19th century and the the theory is that some sealers moved a bird somewhere and it got com- and then made its way back to wherever is described either in Canterbury or in, or in England or somewhere and yeah the label said dusky sound which is in Fjordland but um the bird actually came from Stewart Island so some some sealers like grabbed it just for fun as a pet or for yeah, food or yeah, something yeah you know it's just like, as a curiosity it was it was preserved <laughs> as a skin and then described from that but um gotcha but what what that means is that now this subspecies Apteryx australis laurii is now the type spe- the is the type the holotype species. Mm-hmm. So that's the Stewart Island subspecies now, Apteryx australis australis, and all the other ones are still uh, taxonomically indeterminate. So they don't uh, really have a name. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which is which was sort of the case before because there's sort of this debate about whether North, South, Fjordland, and Haast, whether they're, they're subspecies or um, geographic variants. 
but in terms of management, we still uh, treat each population as separate because yeah, they don't really jo- join up. I mean, they're they're all one they're one species complex, but the behaviours between Stewart Island Tokaweka and and Haas Tokaweka hugely different, <laughs> and their morphology is a bit different as well. And so, I mean, we sort of we sort of caught them at some sort of divergent stage, really. So, sort of an interesting taxonomic question but um, so they're just in limbo now they don't really have a proper place well they've they've got their place i mean they don't they don't know what they're called <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> they just do what they what they do if you mix them up they they'd breed um probably but yeah i suppose the question is like do you do you mix them up it's like what what level i mean what one one say house tokoweka down to 500 birds ish but you've got 30,000 Stewart Island birds. One management technique would be to, to sort of mix them up and say, well, there you go. Yeah, we'll keep managing, managing things separately. But I suppose if, if, they get, if they get a subspecies label or a diff, or species label or something like that, then, I don't know, sometimes it's, it, get, it gets you more money for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are just a bit yeah. higher for yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's, it's it's pretty much marketing. It's yeah. you know, <laughs> taxonomic marketing. Taxonomic marketing. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because I mean, you did say that you like like you were saying the behaviors are different. Like they're probably doing slightly different things in the ecosystem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the environments they live in are different. Here, um, the birds will disperse after a few after a couple like after a month or so. The chicks are totally independent, as as far as we can tell, and they'll they'll disperse. Um, on Stewart Island, they'll stay in family groups for six to seven years or something like that. Right. Um, and there's 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 potentially um, previous offspring like offspring will help with rearing subsequent generations while they're sub adults. Huh. But yeah, I mean. I don't know. That's pretty. That's a pretty big difference. <laughs> like, yeah, no, for sure. And uh, yeah, the, the sizes are different, and color colors are different. But um, genetically, they're on they're on the same spectrum. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's us. So yeah, there you go. Basically, they they some sealers <laughs> moved a bird somehow from a spot to another, and the whole sort of basis of this massive species subspecies locals taxon thing just. Was wrong, completely based off the wrong idea. I love that. I'm just like, oh, look at this cool, fun bird. We're gonna bring it with us, and it <laughs> the entire classification. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh my goodness. Awesome. Um, is there anything else? Oh, I don't know. Uh, sort of take the takeaway of the last three years of breeding season is that nothing happens quickly with the Astokweka. <laughs> <laughs> in term, in terms of breeding and recovery uh-huh. um, so it's yeah it's a long game long game but it's cool to hear that you know well at least the government thinks it's worthy of changing the classification yeah yeah i think that's a reflect like the, this uh, program has been going for about just over 20 years and um yeah i suppose that's that's the payoff Episode 16 of Life on the Brink was produced on the lands of the Turrbal, Yagara and Garingai people. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty over these lands has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. 
A huge, huge thanks to Dennis for uh, coming on and giving us an update. I'm really bummed out that I missed it. <laughs> uh, give Life of the Brink a rating, review, a follow, whatever you can do wherever you're listening to this. Thanks to everyone who's asking those questions for all the interviews we're doing. And there will be more coming still. So keep your eye on our Instagram stories if you want to get your questions into these interviews. And if you're looking for some full non-update episodes, there are a heap already up wherever you're listening to this. And... Our next episode is going to be a full episode again. We're finally kicking into season two in February. Thanks to Angus Pazina for running the website. <laughs> thanks to Carl Morley for our theme music. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. TTFN. TTFN. <laughs> no! It's I know, I know, I know. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can say it. <laughs> no, we're leaving that. That's perfect. <laughs> That's fine.